Should I send my child to junior kindergarten? Schools are set to open in a few weeks and the plans are not looking promising. Today on the show, I talked to my wife and three other people to figure out this new world of school and what it means for my family's very specific situation. On them? Yeah. It's oh, hello. <laughs> don't be weird about it. <laughs> okay, so why don't we just start by saying what is our current dilemma, August 2020? Yes. So the thing that has been plaguing us pretty much every day for the last little while is should we or should we not send our son Ambrose to junior kindergarten in September? Which feels kind of cool because we're actually united with a lot of other parents with that dilemma. Most of our other parenting dilemmas have been very <laughs> insulated in our own household. Yes. Like, I should we feel, have? <laughs> I feel part of a movement. Yeah. A movement of parents. Yeah. I think yes. about all of our other dilemmas and that one was very personal to us. Like, should we have a second child? Should we buy a house? Mm-hmm. What school should we send our child to? And now I feel like we're trying to figure this out, but with a lot of other people too. And we're talking about it constantly with other friends and every day the new york times says something different <laughs> or cbc says something different or the globe and mail says something different i'm a news junkie and so that is not helping that definitely don't send your kids to school definitely it's safe that study from south korea was not true definitely listen to the study from south korea like it's making me crazy And then we'll see our child doing something out in the world, like playing on a playground for the first time in Mm -hmm. five months and walking up to children and saying, hi, my name is Ambrose Lewin Kirsch. And I sometimes call myself super Ambrose. And like, you're like, of course you need to be with other children. You need to socialize. You need to climb things. You need to learn from people who aren't us. He is happier with other children. That's for sure. So we were isolated. We were laying in bed one night and talking about this, of course, and I think I said it. I should just record a podcast where I just talk to people about this question. And I said, that's an amazing idea. (laughs) Definitely do that. So what we're going to be doing is listening to three conversations that I had with three different people. Uh, Our next door neighbor, who is an administrator in the largest school board in Canada, and then your long-time dear friend, Layla, who is a doctor, and then my good friend, who is a teacher and a mother of three, who is going back to school and sending um, her children to daycare and trying to decide if she should send her child to school. Um, So what we're going to do is listen to these three conversations. I'm just going to play them back for you. And then we're going to meet up at the end of the show and we're going to make a decision, right? <laughs> they, they, they told you what to do, right? Yeah. They gave me all the answers. So this is done. This is the best way to parent, by the way. Just get, just ask other people and then just do the thing that they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I sure as heck don't know what to do. No, I don't think we will until the day before school, but at least it has created some interesting conversations and things for us to consider. Like I've already listened to all these um, conversations and I've edited them down for you. Um, And I took notes on them. And every time I listen to them, I get different ideas about what really matters. And I'll, you know, after I finish a conversation with one person, I'm like, absolutely, that is the exact thing we should do. And then I talk to another person and something else happens that day. And I'm thinking, 
a totally different thing. So that's status quo. I know. That's where we are. But but maybe, I mean, like our decision yes. to have a second kid, all we needed was one person to be like a really strong yes or a really strong no to, or like a kind of strong yes or a kind of strong no to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Oi. Okay, so let's go get a snack. And everyone listening should also get a snack and we'll listen to the three conversations and then we'll come back together. So um, my name is Layla, as as Celeste has said, and I am a family doctor working here uh, in Toronto. And my specialty as a family doctor is uh, working with uh, refugees and homeless patients. And uh, specifically with the COVID response, I've been very lucky to work with a whole multidisciplinary team of folks to help with the homeless response uh, uh, with uh, COVID-19. Yeah, and I yeah I'm from uh, originally from England, grew up in Canada, and uh, and really looking forward to making roots here in Toronto. Knowing everything that you know and being in the circles that you are around, um, what are your thoughts right now with sending kids? to school in September. And we're prefacing this to everyone listening, saying like, you're not an infectious disease specialist. You're not directly like working in public health. So you're really just speaking as my friend who's a doctor that knows more stuff than I do. Um, well, I don't but, know about that, but. <laughs> no, you are like one of the smartest people I know. So I'm, I'm very happy you're sharing your brain with me. Um, what are your thoughts right now? Like what should we do about JK and our child? Yeah, it's a it's a very good question, and I've had uh, you know uh, a few days to sort of reflect on this, and and also you know over the last few weeks been speaking to my colleagues and other you know other colleagues that work in infectious diseases and public health, and I think you know just like any other thing in life, the more you learn about something, the more you realize you actually don't you don't know you don't have an answer, um, and so it's it's a big question, and I think. Um, you know, some of the things I can probably speak to with a little more confidence, I'll sort of mention a few things and then maybe we can sort of hone in on a conclusion, um, which, which we might not, might not come to. But, uh, you know, some of the things we do know is that firstly, you know, we don't have a lot of data in transmission in, you know, the, 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 the children and in younger populations. And so it's really difficult to come to a conclusion in terms of the risk. And when we talk about risk, of course, we talk about risk of transmission within the classroom, but also risk of transmission back at home, uh, you know, in their communities, um, you know, risks to the teachers. And so there's a, f- a few things to, to really think about. And, and because the testing isn't really widely done in, in younger populations, there's not a lot of data to go on. So it's really difficult to really, I think, to, uh, you know, determine uh, safety based on that. Uh, you know, the other thing is that from an educator's perspective, and of course, you would have a lot more info, you know, information on this is that uh, children have, you know, specific educational needs. And, and so, you know, trying to balance all of that. Um, and then, you know, on, in, in, in the other, on the other side is that, uh, you know, supports for homeschooling, right? So some parents might choose to, to homeschool. And, and that's, again, something that has to be looked at. So, I think there, there are a lot of things. I've only mentioned a few, and there's many, many, many more. Um, so what, you know, what, what should we do? I, I think 
things are changing day by day. So I think an answer that we have today will indeed be different in one month when it's time, you know, time for school to begin. And I think the important, the important thing for me as I reflect on all this is really the importance of dialogue and really speaking to the experts to, to, to sort of determine a, a safe way to bring children back to school, whether that's cohorting children, you know, in the same groups as the weeks and years go by, or as the weeks and months go by, uh, you know, whether that's, um, you know, how rigorous the hygiene practices are, uh, how, how we sort of manage the risk of, you know, tracking disease back and forth from community to school, uh, and then and then and then interfacing that dialogue, of course, with educators to see how to balance and how to come up with creative solutions for educational needs. So that's kind of where I stand right now in terms of my my thoughts on the topic. I know it's not a solid answer, but I think you know continuing to dialogue specifically with each school environment, of course, being different, that might look different from one school to the other as well. The other, the one one other thing I would say before you know we maybe get into a bit more detail is that uh, I think each school would have to have some sort of a you know, and this has been communicated by various public health departments in different provinces, but a rap, some sort of rapid response, uh, you know, how to mitigate risk and, and, you know, in the event that there is outbreak or transmission or risk. Uh, and so I think a lot, a lot of those things would have to be in place uh, before safety is established. I'm hearing you say there's a lot that we don't know. Like there's a lot of question marks around what this disease is like in children. And I've been reading that as well. Um, and it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, a stance of like being like cautious and going in it with a lot of precautions and then sort of like assessing continually, like continually assess. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think with uh, the pandemic, you know, being so, being so new uh, to all of us, uh, there's not many people who are experts in something that has just been around for a few months. And so I think that's the key, right? As you, as you mentioned, is continuing, you know, continuing to uh, check ourselves, reassess, and, and be willing to dialogue and listen to the experts, uh, and not just in medicine, but also in education, to actually come up with good solutions day to day. If you didn't have to send your kid to school, in those kinds of situations, like what would you say if like, for example, with Ambrose, he's, he's only four. Should we just like do the cautious, optimistic and like wait it out and just see and just see what happens come like November and be like, okay, November, no outbreaks have happened. Cool. We feel more safe. We're going to send him forward. Like, cause we have that luxury right now. Not all parents have that. So what is your take on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if, if you do have the resources uh, to be at home with your child and also, uh, you know, the ability, the interest and, you know, the skills to homeschool, I, th I think that's an excellent, excellent option. Um, as you said, not, not everybody, you know, has the ability to do that, um, you know, if they have to go out and work or, uh, you know, some people might not feel comfortable homeschooling. But I think if you have, if you have all those things, available to you, I think it's an excellent option. Um, one thing I will, I will say is that you're absolutely, you know, you're right that we, we really don't know what the transmission will be like from now until November with a possible, you know, 
other wave coming. The, the, the one piece of data that we might have to look at is that over the months of the pandemic when everything was closed, um, some places were open for, you know, looking after the children of the healthcare providers and the frontline workers. And again, I, I'm not familiar with all the data on this, but I, I don't believe we heard of any major outbreaks in, mm. in those settings. And so, you know, there might be some data that we can fall back on, but, you know, things are, Things, of course, will look different in the fall when communities, you know, community numbers and spread looks different than what it did a few months ago when people are, you know, weren't in lockdown, were in lockdown versus, you know, they mm-hmm. won't be. Um, so you don't have children right now. You have a very busy life with a doctor, a husband, and yourself as a doctor. Um, imagine you did have a child and you had the luxury to take some time off. Like it wasn't necessary for you to be working all the time. What would you do? Yeah, this is an excellent question. And, you know, thinking about it, I think there are so many um, pros and cons, you know, to homeschooling that, again, you will be much more versed at than me. But I think, you know, if I, if I had the, if I had the ability and, and, and I don't, I don't see myself as a wonderful educator, which is why I'm, you know, not in your profession. I think your profession is one of the hardest professions. Um, And so I think, you know, but if I felt that I could do it and I had some guidance and my, you know, and I was able to stay at home or my partner was able to stay at home, I think one of us might do that. Having said that though, you know, there's so much education that comes from being in a social environment and sort of being in a group. And I, I wonder, you know, before before saying yes, yes or no to being, you know, in that school environment, I I wonder, I think I'd want to do a little bit more research too on some of the other options. Like, is there an option to maybe homeschool in a group, uh, Mm -hmm. for example, and and keep that cohorted sort of in a different environment than school? Again, I'm not sure because I haven't looked into these options, but I would maybe want to explore some other unconventional, you know, options that we've never really looked at before. Uh, But I think, you know, if you had to pin me down and, and I have to give you an answer, <laughs> yes or no. I think if I had the ability, I would certainly try maybe to keep keep my my child at home for now until we have a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I didn't have that ability, I think I would sort of trust in my local public health, you know, uh, experts that if the school is being opened, it's being opened under the right the right guidance and the right uh, precautions, and then sort of take it, you know, take it from there. Hi, Celeste. So, <laughs> clearly I know who you are. My name is Diane and I work for one of the boards in Ontario. I'm an administrator with a board, a pretty large one. And um, I'm your neighbor. And you're my and neighbor. You are... So, so I'm wearing a few hats. You're wearing a few hats indeed, and you know our child well, and you know our situation pretty well, but uh, just to recap everything, you know our son is starting JK, and I'm also on mat leave, which is like a pretty unique situation. So, you know, I could be home with Ambrose, and there's also my wife who could be home as well when I go back to work. So I pulled you on, and I'm so grateful you could come on the show today to pick your brain uh, and to record that brain picking. Based on you know what you know going on in Ontario schools right now, and what you know about us and our family, um, what should we do, Diane? <laughs> oh, first off, let me just acknowledge that everybody's situation, uh, everybody's um, decision 
will be informed by their own particular situations. And even as an administrator, I, I mean, I have my own opinion, so I'm going to talk about what I see in the normal day-to-day -day when we had a normal kind of life in school. And, and what I see of kids in JK specifically in those normal situations. So normally, children who come into JK, um, and I guess, you know, uh, people other than myself think that it is the best thing to start sort of acculturating those kids early on enough. I guess the big idea is that they will have more success the sooner they, they get uh, used to being in school. That doesn't work for all children. Some children cry until December because they're just not ready. They're not ready. They have tremendous anxiety um, and they cry and they cling. And it really is heart-wrenching for parents to see their children go through that. And it's, it's difficult for the teachers as well because you have some kids who are ready and some kids who are not. That's in a normal scheme of things. Like it can literally take months for a child to settle down and start the learning process. Although I guess you could say that what they're learning to do is to do without their parents. Um, and there is good programming that may go on. Whether or not the child can access it is all dependent on their mental well-being. Given this kind of situation, I can see exponentially the kind of anxieties that would come up. Because not only do you have children who are anxious and you have parents who are anxious, you have teachers who are anxious and ECEs who are anxious. So this child is surrounded by a lot of anxiety and that cannot bode well. It just cannot bode well. Um, I have my own opinions about why we're going back to school in this kind of way, but that's for another forum. But Suffice it to say that this, there is a big mental health piece that I don't know if enough attention is being paid to that. Um, you have teachers who may have those underlying conditions that everybody keeps talking about. And so they're coming into schools knowing that that is the case. Um, the JK program is an inquiry-based program. The kindergarten program is in, inquiry-based. So you have children immersed all day in interactions. They are interacting with their peers. And even if the teacher stays at a distance, which goes against the nature of this inquiry program, it's a one way the, the, the full day kindergarten is, is um, predicated on a, situation, a, a scenario where the teacher goes in and, what, and observes the child doing things and, and um, you know, talks about it. Why did you choose this color? It's, it's that it's, it's not a hands-off program. Mm -hmm. It's a hands-on program. So that is the nature of the program. And to put in all those moving pieces, I, I don't see how that can bode well. Mm -hmm. So that is just my view as an administrator based on what I've seen and, and what I'm speculating on based on what I know. Mm -hmm. To take away any aspect of it makes it then not the program it was intended to be. Yeah. So, so given that and given, given that and given what you know of my very active four-year-old, um, is it better to bring him into school or to keep him at home where I, and like presumably a few other adults that are very close with us in our pod could give him that kind of inquiry experience, hands-on 
and it would be a stopgap. It would be for a year. In mm-hmm. your professional opinion, do you think it's better to send him or better to keep him home? I think my personal opinion, knowing what I do, uh, how, how I know you guys are with him and just um, encouraging his, you know, his development in so many ways, he cannot lose, let me put it this way, he cannot lose by not going to school this year because the entire JK year is spent um, just getting the kids used to the idea of sharing, of other people being in their space, of um, knowing that there are other adults in their lives other than their mom and their dad and their, or their aunt, you know, the immediate, the, the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what JK is about. JK, you never find a class of junior kindergarten students all by themselves. It's always junior kindergarten and senior kindergarten. The role of the senior kindergarten is to model for the junior kindergarten. Mm-hmm. How to share, how to use this, that, or the other, to talk, to have a circle of friends. And I don't see that, that you and your family could not provide that for Ambrose. It, w- it would have to be, uh, I mean, you are an educator, so you know that there is a curriculum that you can follow. And I mean, again, I'm not going to comment on the real reason why kids go to school at JK, <laughs> because I don't think that has very much to do with education. It just has to do with socializing them in particular ways. Um, but the, the learning is all about readiness. That's it. I mean, it's interesting though, like as our child gets more independent and sometimes obstinate in terms of like how he wants to take on problems it is getting harder and harder as a parent to you know take him through difficult experiences like small things like Mm -hmm. putting on your shoes or you know holding a pencil and like small stuff that I know that the teachers at his daycare were doing with him and so much of me is like wow it is really difficult to um make your child feel uncomfortable and help them through that. Whereas a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, they can do that in such a different way. So I, I know that I, as an educator, I educate 14 year olds though. So it's a totally different ball game. I'm not a primary teacher. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know four year olds the way that a kindergarten teacher does. So it's a really, it's a, I mean, this is why I'm asking people because it's such a tricky question. But, but you go into the situation assuming that that teacher will know your child too, or get to know your child quickly. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a whole different uh, set of things that come to play because you may have teachers who are naturally kindergarten teachers and you may have teachers who are not naturally kindergarten teachers. So they're not different from you. Mm-hmm. I think the learning the learning has to be yours rather than his oh. because he is naturally inquisitive and he is naturally going to go and um, and if he says yes Ambrose <laughs> go yep that's one I want to you <laughs> then you need to learn to step back and say okay okay because he's safe mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. he's safe but so I think that the learning is learning is going to have to be yours to know when to be teacher and when to be mom. I cannot see it harming him. 
Mm-hmm. I, I cannot see this year with all of the stuff. I'm not talking about a normal year. A normal year, you drop him at the gate and you cry a little bit. And he cries a lot. And, you know, you say, yeah, you'll get over it. You know, and the teachers take him by the hand and go on. Teachers take him by the hand and go on. Mm-hmm. But this is not a normal year. January is also an entry point. Mm-hmm. You know, there is also that. Uh, when you've had time to get him used to the idea that, you know, you're going to go and join some friends and, you know, mom will pick you up at the end of day, that kind of thing. You know, maybe mama will do it, maybe Mia will do it, but, you know, you, you, you have your own, you have, there's a time to get him used to, to that idea. Um, and then you have the time also to see how things play out. Yeah, so my name is Chris McKenna, and I am a teacher at an independent school in downtown Toronto. I'm also a mom to three boys, all of whom are under the age of six. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have time for. Those two <laughs> like what I do, I just have three boys. That's what yeah, I do. That's what I do. <laughs> so I'm... I have to be clear that you're one of my closest friends and I often, cause you had your first child before I had my first child. So you have wisdom and smarts about things that I haven't yet figured out. So I'm often like calling you or texting you and saying like, what should I do about this? How should I deal with that? And you always have like really solid perspective and a really good non-judgmental lens on how to see the world. So obviously I want to ask, you know what our situation is this year and this upcoming year. What do you think I should do about kindergarten and my child and COVID based on all the things that we know and all the things that you know about me and my child? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because we had like scheduled this call and had to reschedule a couple of times. And I think <laughs> since then, I've had 10 different opinions about it. So that's kind of telling, I don't, you know, it's a kind of, it's such a tricky thing as things develop like every like weekly and hourly. Um, I, I'm going to give you my perspective on just this past week. So my oldest two boys started going to daycare and that felt like a big leap. Um, but I was really happy with the daycare. I'm happy with how they've dealt with um, all the different protocols and it's clear that both of them really, even though they're having a tough time adjusting, that they are really getting a lot out of being there. And I'm also getting a lot out of them having Mm -hmm. some time away. Um, So that's a positive piece. I will say I'm so, I'm still super nervous for, um, for school starting. And because school is not 15 kids, which is the daycare is capped at 15. And they're allowed to cohort and they can, they're doing, you know, uh, t- temperature checks at the school and it's staggered entrance and staggered exit. So I, I, I worry about all the like nitty gritty stuff that hasn't been published yet and school boards don't know yet. Um, that, that part gives me pause about um, sending, sending any kid into that environment. Um, the things that are, I think, that makes me lean towards, like, I feel like I'm on a scale and I think that I'm ever so slightly kind of always been tipped to sending, sending your child and also sending mine. Um, just because it seems like the risks are always just slightly outweighed by the benefits of being at school, like just slightly. Cause there's always that fear of infection and there's that fear of like, 
what if they, you know, something bad happens, but I think there's everything else just seems to, just seems to have like one more box on that side of the scale all the time for me. Um, and you know, I, I, I have to be, I'm heartened by it. Like some of the news out of Toronto, I feel like they're, they're, we're doing really well in terms of, um, containing it. And I'm super excited about how many people, and I wish I could be better about it, but are advocating for, for it to do more. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the, he may be listening and that, you know, that the government might actually be saying, okay, we really actually need to look at this. Um, yeah. Cause at the time that we're talking right now, and who knows by the time we actually send this out into the world right now, all we know is that schools are open in September. Kids are going every day. Class sizes are not any smaller than before. Um, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's really, that's not a plan. Like that's not really, a, <laughs> that's not really a big plan. Um, so yeah, I can see, and you're in a different situation because you have the, the possibility of being home or, you know, you're your partner to be home. Um, and I don't really feel like I have that option unless I quit my job. And so that doesn't, it just feels like a non-option. Um, so yeah. if you like, it's, yeah, it's important because your youngest child, you just had them about a year ago. So they're just over a year now. So there's no option for you to stay home. It's really expensive to keep being on a maternity leave. Even just being on a maternity leave for a year is a huge financial situation. Um, but let's say you had a beautiful nest egg of money that like you just stumbled upon and you didn't have to worry about the finances for one year. What would that change your decision-making process at all? It, it might, if I, you know what the money is, yeah, it might change it. I mean, I'd be happy to have my kids home and maybe try and do, I know people are doing those pod, trying to get pods together. And especially if you have, you know, the means to be able to do that, I might consider that. Um, but it's a long time to be out of my career. And that's a big factor, I think, for a lot of parents, not, but moms and dads and, and caregivers at the like, but a lot of moms are going, can I afford to step away for a year? People talk about the kids' mental health, but it is actually parents' mental health too. Like, you know, it's pretty important to have an, an outlet even if it was half days or even if it was something like that, I think it, it, it provides like in our society for it to function. It really feels like if our capitalist society where we all work and we all make these paychecks has to work, then kids have to be in school. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the system doesn't work. You are also a teacher. We met when we were in teacher's college. So there's an added level of like, you're not just going back to like working from home in a safe contained situation. You're going back into a school. Um, Does that change your anxiety levels at all in terms of, and I don't mean to like make you more anxious than maybe you need to be, but how are you feeling about going back as a teacher during this time, like becoming a frontline worker? Yeah. It all feels like if I think about it too much, I might, I might, I might lose it. Um, but you know, I guess it's like ripping off a bandit in a weird way. Like I, uh, I am nervous to go back, um, again, because I don't know the nitty gritty of all the protocols. I know that I'm going back full time and I know that I have students, but I don't know, you know, now I'm being exposed to X number of kids at my school and all of my kids are exposed to their pods. So our circle has gone from like five people to you know, a hundred people or whatever it is in the, in a matter of a couple of weeks, it's really going to change. And I hear these people going, well, we're definitely going to be back in lockdown again. And to me, 
that's almost scarier than anything else is trying to sort out that in our family and figure out what that would look like now with both parents working full time um, and three kids. And I almost, um, I, the other, the other side is that I don't, I don't know how much learning will get done this year. Like possibly at an independent school where there's more resources, there might be more learning happening. But I, if, if it stays as it is, how much can I expect my son to get out of grade one when they can't do group work or when a lot of their time is going to be taken up by sanitizing or like maintaining these physical distancing sort of rules? Um, Cause that's a lot. And that's a lot of what kindergarten is, you know, in regards to, in regards to your son, like that so much of kindergarten is sharing and group work and lining up and, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of that that will be very, yeah, they'll, they'll kind of miss out on some of the other learnings. I don't think the teachers will have time. I don't think they'll be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I watched my son get taken into daycare and they have this like, like social distance pole that has like a handlebar on one end and a handlebar on the other end. And the teacher comes out and holds one hand and then they take the kids in on the other. They like little, you know, two and a half year old Eli is holding on to the other end and they can't even like do anything and you can't go into the school. So it's, it's pretty, um, I feel like I'm handling, it's hard, but I've sent my son to school before and daycare, but for parents like you that are sending for the first time to kindergarten, I, it is scary when you can't just check in on them and, you know, teachers are going to be less apt to like scoop kids up and hug them, which four-year-olds really need that. (laughs) You're also saying that it's been good for your children, despite some of those restrictions, despite some of the like unfamiliar territory that it has been good for them, even though they're clearly anxious and struggling to adjust. What has been so good for them so far? So I think having, um, having a routine because it's not as easy to have a routine in your own home when you have very small children. I think parents of older children may be a little more able to like have a more fixed routine. Um, but when you're one parent on three kids, it's pretty challenging to have a routine that will work for everyone. Um, so that's been really good. I feel like even just having other input other than me, so maybe not having so much of my coddling, because um, at home, you know, it's snack hour from 7 a.m. till, you know, 1, and then it begins again. And I think like, they, they're able to have, be a bit more, perhaps more regulated because they know they still have the love and care from their, the, the people that work there, but it's not all mom all the time. So they start to have to develop some of those resiliencies again, which mm. I've, I've already seen in my oldest. Um, but I think I told you this before, you know, it was very interesting to see them go from really unconcerned about coronavirus. They knew what it was. We talked about hand washing, all of that stuff. And they very readily adapted to no parks, no friends. Like they just sort of were like, okay, this is life now. And, but mom's here and dad's here and it's fine. Only now as my oldest went back to school or back to daycare, uh, was he saying he was nervous about seeing people. He was worried about being in close contact. He was freaked out kind of by all the masks. Like if he has, to, if he wants to play with a friend or touch them, like play tag, they make them put gloves on and wear their masks. So it's like, it's good, but it's also, it's, it's a really hard new reality to swallow for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, they adapt and it's weird and freaky at first. And if there's anything that I found 
really amazing about this whole experience is how quickly we all adapt. Like I remember yes. the first week of lockdown and like, I will never survive this. And then six months later, you're like, this is, this is awful, but it's not the worst thing that could happen to us. Like it is uncomfortable, but it's okay. Like it's okay. It's just sort of a yeah, load. We figured out how to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we'll all just kind of adapt whether that adaptation is sending your kids to school, holding your breath or keeping them home and trying to stay sane, like whatever it is, we will figure out a way through it. Yeah. We have a lot of capacity. I think that's the the word I always come back to as parents. Like we've, we have that capacity to just dig deep and figure it out. But I think probably our mental health has suffered sort of slowly because of that. So probably, um, I think probably <laughs> understatement of the year. Yeah. Cause we give all that to our kids. Like, I think they're like, yay, quarantine. We're having chicken fingers every day. And we're like, you know, we're watching 10 movies and it's fu so fun. But yeah. Um, one thing I thought was so cool that I saw recently though, was um, friends of ours, um, who live in the States and they actually go to a private Waldorf school and uh, it's a really cool school, but they have started to build six outdoor classrooms for the fall, like these really beautiful outdoor classrooms. And I just, I, I always just, it's not, I mean, I don't have the energy right now and I wish I could bring my creative energy to it, but I'm like, that's such a great solution and it feels doable in our climate to be able to spend more time outside if they just gave some thought to what that would look like, you know, it could yeah. work for every single grade. But I think if you're creative, especially if you keep in mind that probably not a ton of learning is going to happen in those first couple of months, it's going to be kind of crazy. Or the learning is not going to be academic. Like I, I yeah. think that the learning will be social in terms of figuring out how to be social respectfully at a distance and the learning will be institutional and it yeah. sounds really kind of cold and clinical to say that but the, there will be learning learning is always happening in all of our schools whether it's ministry expectation learning or uh hidden curriculum learning but our kids are going to learn how to be resilient without their mamas holding their hands through the whole thing and we're going to learn how to you know, watch our kid hold a little social distancing stick and not have another adult hold their hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's a funny thing thinking about September because you kind of feel like, well, if not now, when, you know what I mean? Like if, if our numbers as they are, are really positive, if not now, when would we feel safe? When like people say, it's easy to say, Oh, wait till 2021. How do we know that that's going to be any different or that will be a new type of different? Yeah. So, and then what happens to our mental health between now and then right. and what happens to our careers between now and then. And like, we truly know nothing. Like this no. whole thing has taught all of us that we know nothing. And like, we keep, Oh, I heard this really awesome thing on the Michelle Obama podcast, which you definitely need to listen to. The woman that she was talking to said, we're all writing our futures in pencil right now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And like, so we have this idea of like September, but it's so penciled in and like 2021, it's just like, it's penciled in, like nothing yeah. is set. Yeah. It's a, such a tricky, like I, it's so tricky. And I think in some ways, like with all the, with all the sort of possibilities of sending your kid to kindergarten and the scary things of it, the cool, like sort of not cool, but the the really sort of like graceful thing that I think you have this year is that you are home. And so if things go sideways or if things feel, don't feel good, you're able to sort of pull back. You could go half days. You could mm -hmm. sort of do something 
um, that allows you to feel more comfortable if it's not feeling good anymore. And I think that's actually a really good place to be for 2020. Like it's mm-hmm. a good, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good place to, to start with. Even if you, you know, get a few weeks in and you think this isn't, I'm not happy with this, or you might get in and think, wow, actually the school, like this classroom, the teacher has done amazing stuff and I'm really pleased with how it's going. And the benefits are just slightly outweighing that risk at this point. Like that's what I feel like. It's just tipping it over. It's not overwhelming. Like let's go. But every parent I see at the drop-off is like kicking their heels. Seriously. Like it's not, and these are parents that are so loving, but they're just like, this is so good Mm. to, for my way and have some, some time away from me and for me to be able to do my job again. (laughs) And And I think that your relationship with your children at like, I can only imagine that our, all of our relationships with our children will improve like for the time that they come home to bedtime. Yeah, it will be, it will be interesting is the wrong word. (laughs) It's not going to be interesting. It's going to be scary, terrifying. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I guess no one knows, but I also feel like at this point I'm, I just have to walk forward. Like mm-hmm. I just have to walk forward into it in some ways and then step back if it gets scary and reevaluate. Like that's all that I can do. I can't, like you said, the penciling in, I can't make a plan for, are they going to stay in for the school year? I can only make a plan and say, okay, they're going to start in September and then we'll just have to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if it becomes to feel unsafe, then I'm really going to have to reevaluate what, and as a family, well, like, you know, both Jay and I will have to reevaluate what our home life looks like and what it looks like for the kids if things get out of control. Yeah. I don't know. I just wish they would keep the bars closed. Welcome back. <laughs> Here we are. We're back. We had our snacks. We had chips and blondie bars. I had a bowl of watermelon and half a Quest bar. (laughs) And here we are. And we listened intensely. Okay, so I've heard these a few times now, so let's start with you. What stands out um, out of any of the conversations that you just heard? Yeah, so there's a few things that that struck me. So when I was listening to um, my dear friend Layla speak, um, one of the things she said that just like made me go like, oh yeah, is that we really, you know, those of us that are in my social circle and all of my friends, I mean, we all believe in science, obviously, and we are looking to the scientists and to the, to the medical community to give us guidance. And, and she said, we've never had this pandemic before. So the, really, we don't have experts the way we the way we think about it, of course, there's lots of people studying infectious disease, but we've never had this version of the coronavirus at this time in this time period. And that was like, that struck me because I'm definitely one of those people that's just like obsessively looking for somebody smarter than me to tell me what to do. And there's so many voices that are complicated and I, and the, that are, and even, um, you know, are counteracting each other. Like the voices aren't all clear, Okay, what yeah. else stands out? Um, listening to our dear neighbor Diane speak, um, but I like that she reminded us that Jay or kindergarten in general is an inquiry-based program, which, of course, the moment she said it that way, it's like, yes, of course it is. But I think there was like a framing that was helpful 
in that a lot of what, what inquiry is, is yeah, interacting, asking questions, being connected, and that COVID really puts a damper on that. And so that makes me feel worried for what will kindergarten look like? How many restrictions will there be? And, and what kind of impact that will have on our very engaging and engaged young person that we're raising who requires a lot of talking to people and <laughs> interacting and this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, we have this idea about what kindergarten is because of our own school background and I work in a school and it, this JK year is not going to be what we think it's going to be. I mean, for better and for worse, I think, you know, the way that Diane was talking about it was kind of painting this kind of, I don't want to say gloomy picture, but this a little bit more um, pessimistic picture of how teachers are going to manage the stress of what they're being asked to do. Yeah, all and, the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like I just, like I'm picturing the drop-off scene too that Chris is describing and we've gone through drop-offs before. Like I should say that like our child has gone to daycare and so we've had horrendous drop-off weeks where like every day he's a spider monkey and is clinging <laughs> to me and screaming and I feel like I'm harming him. Um, but I think that that scene within the backdrop of COVID and the social distancing little pole that they're going to be holding on to apparently and teachers under pressure and stressed and anxious um, that kind of wailing, screaming, spider monkey drop off is going to feel so much worse yeah. because it's like, I am harming my child. Am I harming my child to send him? And am I harming my child to leave him? And I don't really have to do it because I'm just, you know, not just, but I'm going to now be with our youngest child and be at home with him. Like I, I fear a bit that my guilt will be very high in that scenario if mm-hmm. drop-offs are really difficult yeah or if he says it like i yeah. i also worry because he's so verbal and he says so many things now <laughs> that just catch me off guard um like eventually i saying that <laughs> we're gonna do this eventually anyway. but if he says something like i really don't like kindergarten i feel like i'd be like okay great i don't like it either stay home with yeah. me like but chris had a really good point that it's good for our mental health for Ambrose to practice more resilience and, mm-hmm. you know, not have somebody kiss him 18,000 times when he needs it and for him to be able to develop more independence under these different circumstances could also be really great for him. Um, there was something else that Chris said. This isn't specifically, well, I guess it relates to us because we have the privilege of possibly being able to stay home, but it was interesting to hear her speak when she said, you know, so many people can't stay home, of course. And then something, I may be getting it wrong, the order of when she was talking, but there was sort of this implication that the only people that would stay home would be the women, right. would be mothers. Like mothers would lose their jobs. Well, we've seen and, that already. Yeah. And I've read, I was going to say that, I've read, I mean, that's already happened. And I've read a lot about this. I've been very interested in this, particularly as a person where there's no man in this relationship. So we don't, there's... Other than Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. But we don't have the like obviousness of one like we're both just figuring this out together and I just that makes me incredibly sad to see that that is still really true that patriarchy still wins capitalism still wins and patriarchy still wins at the end of the day it is still women who are paid less and therefore financially under capitalism it is still women who will who are losing and who would make the choice the choice I have quotation marks to like stop working in order to protect their children because 
of the society that we've built that hasn't quite gotten gotten this right yet and that's just a broader political statement i wanted to make and that in our case <laughs> i'm shocked that you wanted to make a broad political statement leslie kirsch <laughs> sorry about that but in our case we are just so darn privileged that it happens to be a mat leave year for both of us that we actually could make the choice to keep him home and that we are both in employment that is secure and that allows us the flexibility. I mean, I've been working from home, but I'm, there's a certain amount of flexibility that I have. Anyway, my point is if we had different jobs, it's just, this wouldn't even be a conversation we'd be having. So I'm just reflecting on the privilege of this conversation. Well, it's interesting it. that you bring that up. You know, this is a bit tangential, but the first part of the maternity leave is mine because I gave birth to Jasper. So I am scheduled to be on mat leave until the first week of December, basically. So the beginning decision of whether or not we send Ambrose to school falls on me in terms of, you know, providing care or hooking up with other people and doing a pod, like all of that would fall on me to have both of the children at the same time. Right. Over to you, starting December, would you feel comfortable and confident yeah. to have Ambrose and Jasper together from December until the end of June. Would I feel comfortable or confident? No, no, I would not. But would you would do, we it? do it if it felt like, of course you would do it. Yeah. If it's a matter of safety. I mean, this is what keeps happening. I feel like what, what I, Chris was saying that the boxes that you're checking on both sides for her, the boxes around sending just keep, keep being a little bit higher. I actually want to come back to her to, I want to know what her boxes are really actually the how she gets there because I want to believe that the boxes to send are higher but I'm aware that my bias of my fear to be a primary parent to take care of particularly in our case two very young children at the same time my fear is so high that I want the boxes to send him to outweigh that so I don't have to confront it and that's a personal fear, like my own fear of competence around caring for them by myself. So I don't have that fear of competence. I feel able to manage them mostly because I've been doing it since yeah. I've been on, you know, leave. Yeah. Uh, but my fear is that I will lose my mind. Of course. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like yeah. it's, it's a mental health fear. Yeah. Like, well, how much more can I really handle? And there's yeah. been days where I'm like, you need to go to school because this is too much for me. Like I, I can't, yeah. I can't take all of this on. And, you know, now that playgrounds are open and now that like people seem to be a little bit more relaxed with like park play dates and being a little bit more socially distanced, but around other folks, um, it's definitely gotten easier, but what's going to happen in November? Like what's yeah. going to happen when like part of me feels like, okay, so if we're kind of anticipating a second wave happening, <laughs> November, December ish, <laughs> Maybe I should just send him to school, September, October, get as much done as possible. Like really just like tackle that to-do list with Jasper in the little ergo carrier and like get it all done so that when we're literally inside again and can't go anywhere for the winter, um, I don't feel like I'm living in The Shining. Yeah. But of course, in December, you'll be back at work regardless if it's at home or at work, you will be working and it will be on me and I yeah I just think I mean we're, we're very specific in how we're talking about our own situation which I realized we made an entire podcast about our own situation um but the broader piece of like even considering this I just wanted to reflect on it's such a privilege mm -hmm. 
this is systemic racism happening right here. Like when we look oh, at yeah. the communities in Toronto that have been the most impacted by it, it's largely neighborhoods where there's, you know, black indigenous people of color. And yeah. so when we're writing people and we're writing and calling, you know, as a nice white parent, <laughs> um, it's really important to also name what is also good for other people, not just what's good for your own little community. Of course. Because what is good for the most marginalized among us means that everyone is good. Yeah, well said. <laughs> that is how we know that we can take care of everyone as we think about our most marginalized and we say, what do they need? And but we don't have that yet. So we're all complaining and we're hearing like these little tidbits of information from the ministry or from our school board. We haven't heard anything from his school yet in terms of yeah. class sizes or the room that he's going to be in yeah. and what is possible ventilation wise, how often they can actually be outside learning. Yeah. All of this is kind of a moot point because we don't even know what we're actually dealing with on the first day of school. So where are you right now in terms <laughs> of send him or don't send Dear him? God. I think I'm leaning more towards send him with more information pending. Me you? too. My oh. first choice is send him. Um, That's not, our first choice is always send him. Nobody is denying that school is better than no school. So the question is for us in this setting. Yeah. Okay. So if we, okay, so we don't know a lot, but let's say that he had a class of 30 and the ventilation was average in his classroom. So maybe a window, maybe not. Ugh. I would say send him hmm. and just assume that we're going to get the virus. <laughs> yeah, it's like our, we'd have to go into lockdown mode other than school, which yeah. I know sounds sort of silly because when they go to school, the suddenly their you know, circle is now 100 people as... Chris was mentioning, but well, we also don't have time to see a lot of people. Like we have, you know, the whole day. So we would just be like trying to figure out the weekends now, but to prioritize school and to see what it's like and to see how he's responding to it. And I, I like, I, I saw something like this couple, they were doing like a video and it was like a silly jokey video, but at the end of it, they got very serious. And they were kind of like talking to the audience and they were saying, you know, like, whatever the plan is, you just sell the plan to your children. You just really get mm -hmm. them to be on board with it. Masks, great. You make masks the coolest thing ever. You have to, like, walk through um, Lysol spray to get into your classroom. <laughs> That's the most fun Lysol spray that ever existed. Like, whatever it is, you just have to pretend, like, that is normal and you're super excited about it. And he's four. He will, he doesn't know any different. Like, he doesn't know what school actually is. So if we're stressed and weird about it, he's going to pick up on that. But if we're just like, yo, this is, people have face shields now. You get to wear your Spider-Man mask. What a cool world this is. It yeah. will, it will override our ideas of what school should be and help him have somewhat of a positive experience. Yeah. I definitely think we're lucky. Another way we're lucky is, is that way that he has no prior idea. So all of these yeah. ways that we can make it easier for him. I, for me, that's still, the question is still about getting sick. Less so about all those other things. I think our, our kid has a lot of resilience, but like also just doesn't know any better. So, but for so many kids that are going to school, they do know better or they do know different. And it's going to be a lot of work for their parents to get them. Reprogram. Just to help them cope with the change. Um, but in our case, I think that actually won't be an issue, um, which is another way yeah. that we're lucky. 
Yeah, like if we look at like all the factors, Ambrose does not have a compromised immune system. Neither of us have a compromised immune system. We're very close to your parents in terms of like daily, everyday interactions. So we would have to like not do that. Yeah. And we would be really cautious about how we exist in the community and be really excited for the learning that will happen, like whatever that learning is. I mean, our kindergarten programs, we didn't actually go to JK. I was gonna say. <laughs> but That's the other thing that makes me think we could keep them home because neither of us yeah. went to JK. I think we're okay. Yeah. Jury's mm, yeah. out on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't but but all it would take was it would be a few more articles in any of the major outlets to tip me the other way. I'm yeah. going to be really honest. And also hearing from our school, if there's concerns from directly the school that he's going to, that could tip me. And any more community spread could tip me. So yeah, back to yeah. what Layla said that like deciding this now when stuff changes so quickly and it's still a few weeks away is a little bit sort of silly um, or premature. So I'm, I'm easily tippable. I, I, I need you to know that. And that I, I think I, I gear towards more anxiety, like I lean more anxiously than you do, Celeste. And so I have to own that, um, which is why I have to say I'm a bit surprised with myself that I feel like right now that I'm saying send him, but that is how I do feel. I hope he looks back and listens to this when he's <laughs> older and realizes how uh, ridiculous decisions yeah. can be, and how yeah. hard this is. Yeah.